I am so excited to be here today in our uh, podcast and or vlog series, depending on how you are joining us um, with two lovely ladies who have been doing a tremendous amount of research and work in the vibration field, um, which is where we're really going to focus our conversation for today as a part of this series. And so I would love to start off um, with you, Ellen. Um, can you give us a snapshot of your personal academic professional journey that brought you to this conversation? Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, my name's Ellen and I'm Norwegian American. I've been raised in both countries, speaking both languages and also in France and Ivory Coast. So questions of culture and identity have really been central to my life. And so now I'm studying my master's with Bella here and we're studying immigration and intercultural relations. So just uh, finishing up our thesis. It's uh, a lot of work, but incredibly rewarding. <laughs> I'm sure. And Bella, how about you? And could you maybe also share what that program is that you all are doing? Yeah, no problem. Yes, so I'm Bella. And I guess I'll start with how I found the program and got into it real quickly. Um, and that was, of course, through my time with Hope Print during my apprenticeship after graduating from Syracuse University in 2018, I was the um, adult programming apprentice. So I helped coordinate the Steps to Thrive program and the Her Village program. And yes, so looking for a master's, I knew I wanted to learn more about migration and have a deeper and greater perspective of it. So I decided to go abroad for it. And what our program is, the European Masters of Migration and Intercultural Relations. And it is a bit of a mouthful, so we do just call it EMIR. Um, <laughs> and yes, so EMIR has seven different uh, universities in seven different countries. Um, I will list them. Ellen, correct me if I get any wrong. So Germany, Norway, Slovenia, Czech Republic, Sudan, Uganda, and South Africa. So Ellen and I originally met uh, during our first semester at the University of Oldenburg in Northern Germany. And then we went over to Stavanger, Norway, and we were also roommates. Um, and then of course, the lovely events of you know, March, 2020 um, had separated us for some time, but we were still able to uh, attend our chosen universities for our third modules virtually. So for me, I went to the University of Witzwaterswand um, in Johannesburg, South Africa. And then Ellen, I believe went to- University of South Bohemia in the Czech Republic. So Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And so where I am right now is finishing up the degree actually with an internship in Rome, Italy. Uh, with Refugees Welcome International at their um, Rome branch. And also in the lovely final stages of writing my thesis um, on digital storytelling and intercultural education. 
I'm excited for both of you to listen to this in like a year from now and think about where you are at right now. And you'll be able to fully celebrate that all of your thesis and everything is done. So um, thank you for sharing that and giving people kind of some context as to what brings you to this conversation. So as I mentioned earlier, today we want to focus on migration. Uh, kind of more specifically how that impacts uprooted people, the places that they leave and the places that um, they resettle. So let's start with some definition of terms um, because those could oftentimes be an interesting game that we each define them differently. So uh, how would you all define migration? It's a complex term, definitely. And there's so many different types of migration. So most of the people who are considered immigrants, refugees, it's actually people who are displaced within their own country. Um, but it could be moving from one city to another, or it could be crossing borders. It could be uh, moving because you're forced to, it could be because you're being pulled from another country. So it's, yeah, a lot of different terms that can be used. <laughs> movement. Yeah, um, I actually find this question really interesting because I've been doing some word associations with a local high school in Syracuse, actually, about the topic of migration. So um, I will share. I will not, of course, name the school or name students, but I will share some thoughts on that. So a lot of people will originally hear the term migration and immediately think of birds. And of course, that is true, but that is not why I believe we're here today, hopefully, because that is definitely not the specialty of Ellen and I. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, it's, um, I mean, of course you have the just like basic, basic level given by like the IOM, um, uh, just like the movement of people either internally or across borders, as Ellen just said. Um, but also there's so many conversations going on about um, really honing in on that definition and what it means for policymakers and researchers, because um, in order to, you know, move forward and um, create sustainable initiatives, you need to, of course, specify what you're discussing. So I also think of the debate on mobility versus migration. Um, I think of how maybe like a student moving to a country to study is actually more considered a mobility as opposed to a migration and how that can sometimes still be in the migration topic. Um, and I also think about <clears throat> the necessity, and this is something that um, Ellen might be able to speak more about because it's actually a research topic that we had in a class once, but the necessity to be specific about the type of migration for policymaking. So for example, for um, like climate migration for the climate crisis, how crucial it is to really hone in on these definitions. So I'm really happy that we opened this one because it's a very important discussion to keep having. Yeah, and important to emphasize how, <clears throat> how nuanced it is, how many different types there are and how it's constantly changing. It's multi-levels, there's, yeah, a lot behind the question, so. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So just in what you were just saying, I want to tweak my question a little bit to hone in on the type of migration um, that we want to talk about. So there are a number of migrants that come to the communities that Syracuse or that Hope Print works in, um, including Syracuse. And uh, we oftentimes um, will refer to our mission around um, specifically neighborhoods and communities where refugees live is where we work. Um, and so, as you just noted, refugees are a, a specific uh, people who are migrating, right? Um, it's only one group of many different types of migrants. So we kind of, for this conversation, focus a bit more on those who are refugees. Um, can you talk to us, what are some of those factors that are causing people to migrate per that particular um, type of situation? Yeah, the the UN um, Refugee Day was actually just four days ago. Uh, so for my internship with the Norwegian Peace Council, we were really focusing on what is the status of rep refugees globally today. And it's the world's never seen this high levels of refugees before. In fact, it's 1% of the whole world uh, is considered to be a refugee, uh, which is a very high number. And there's so many reasons that people are forcibly displaced from their homes. And right now, like Bella said, I think a huge focus should be turning towards environmental factors because that's something that is continuing to grow and it's only going to get worse within the climate crisis. Um, but there's also questions of violence and oppression from government, from states. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of conflicts. Mm -hmm. So yes, I want to talk, but excuse me if you hear any like background um, yelling from neighborhood pets. It seems to be a concert that occurs a couple of times each afternoon. Uh, one gets going and they really just bounce off of each other. Um, but yes, uh, of course, like to at the um, basic policy level, um, like to be a refugee, it means you fled your country due to fear of persecution, climate issues, um, conflict, etc. <clears throat> and yes, it is important once again to keep understanding um, these reasons because, and also um, I'm happy that Ellen uh, mentioned the World Refugee Day because it was also the 20th anniversary. Um, so I thought that that was really interesting to learn from. And I too attended some events for my internship. Um, and yeah, so for these reasons of um, understanding what it is to be a refugee, I also think we need to not get too caught up in like the policy um, jargon and descriptions as well and just uh, go straight to the person because I think the most equitable way to like further this definition is to understand that from the perspective of one that's experienced it because um, it's something that we will never understand for many. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I wonder for those who are listening who may not have gotten that chance yet, um, these terms we're talking about are so big, you know, environmental issues, displacing people, conflict, displacing people. Could one or both of you maybe just give 
even just one snapshot, maybe it's in a community that you already worked in or some of the research you've done of some of the ways that that looks. Bella, would you like to talk a little bit about with your internship in Italy maybe? Or... Oh, I was gonna tag you to talk about our Bangladesh <laughs> project. <laughs> Uh, well, I can talk about, since we're talking about Horn of Africa and uh, Norway, there, for example, the Somali population is a big uh, refugee population that is living in Norway. And for the past several decades, they've been coming over and have a huge community, especially in the Oslo area. So at first, it was a big contrast from previous waves of immigrants. And now it's one of the dominant immigrant communities, especially refugee communities. And yeah, seeing the way that they've blossomed in Norway and how there's so much, yeah, they give a lot to the community, both, uh, both the, the political ways that they are active and also with the obvious food and the culture, the languages, and yeah, seeing how they go from the status of refugee to Norwegian and how you can be both at the same time. So that's an example that sticks out to mind. I'm not sure if that answered, if that was the question. Uh, yes, yeah, no, that's, that's a, a great snapshot. I, I think maybe just to clarify a little is, so they, they come to Norway and that was a wonderful experiential snapshot of how you see in your own country, right? Them resettling and finding a new home. Um, I'm wondering if we could maybe just back up a little bit, whether it's around Somalis or elsewhere. What's, when we're saying environmental factors are displacing people or conflict is displacing people, what are we talking about? Those are, are very, very large terms. Um, Clearly, probably the three of us on this in this conversation are pretty familiar. But for those who are are listening in who might not be, could we give some just snapshots of what are those types of things that are displacing people? Mm -hmm. So, for example, fear of persecution from government, or Bella and I were doing a research paper on environmental uh, refugees that were in Bangladesh. So, if you're in a place, uh, your home is somewhere where there's constant erosion or floods, then you can no longer physically live there. You can no longer work there. So then you have to move from your home. And many times people do that within Bangladesh with the case that we were looking at, but now more often than not, they have to go find protection, safety, a new home in a different country. So that's uh, yeah, a big example is how your environment around you changes because of the climate crisis and you have to move. Yeah, and I mean, to add to that, um, I mean, even in the US, like in Alaska right now, we're seeing it happen. We're seeing um, melting in the Arctic region. And um, I know that there's a lot of research going on right now about making some kind of solution for this. Like, is it gonna be a physical solution of like building bridges? Um, are people going to just have to, for lack of better words, just give up on that space 
um, or kind of just like Ellen was saying, like you, it just gets to a point where it's no longer livable. Um, so I feel like the environmental ones are the ones um, that are not discussed quite enough. And I'm still learning too, by the way, I don't want to talk like too much as like an expert. Um, we've just, I learned a lot in this paper that we worked on um, together on the coal industry in Bangladesh specifically um, and how it has affected the environment and um, local people. So that is just kind of um, what I can say about that direct impact. And also something I like to add that I just learned and I was kind of blown away was that um, over half of all environmental refugees or climate migrants uh, are women up to 60%. So I think that gender is also something that is extremely important to talk about and yeah, to see how things aren't equally uh, felt across the board, so. I often wish that I could just dive into you all's uh, research papers and get to learn all the amazing things that I'm sure you're learning in your program and with the exposure that you get to so many different countries and contexts and perspectives. So thank you for continuing to bring little snapshots of it to us here. So Alan, you had mentioned earlier some of the impacts that you've seen, particular to the Somali community um, migrating to Norway uh, and the positive impacts, it sounds like. And uh, you, you referred very briefly to maybe some of the tensions of original transitions in the community around welcoming people that had different culture, different language, and, and for the people coming, right, uh, on both directions, just the adjustment that that takes, but um, some of the really beautiful things that have emerged there. Um, Bella, I know you are from Syracuse, um, so other side of the pond, and um, Syracuse has also seen a large number of uh, refugees. What are some of the ways that you've seen migration uh, impact the Syracuse community as people continue to resettle there and make it home? Once again, sorry about the dogs. Um, they will give up eventually, I promise, if you can hear them. So... Yes, um, I love Syracuse to start and I miss it so much. Um, so how I've seen it is, it's a little, I could teach, not teach, I could attend a whole class about it, um, especially with the Northside neighborhood in particular um, with the history of migration. And so I guess, are, are we gonna focus on refugees specifically for this? Um, we certainly can, or I would just love for you to just reflect from your own personal experience, whatever that is. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so I could start, of course, um, by there's a need to recognize that Syracuse was indeed, of course, built on um, Indigenous grounds, uh, so with the Onondaga Nation, and so that is a direct immediate impact in our history and something that is far too often um, a narrative in so many other spaces. Um, but following that, the history, of course, um, I could go into the history of Italian and Irish immigration. I remember actually discussing this at a Hope Print, her village in 2019 or something, I think. And I remember, um, 
just being absolutely fascinated um, by our history. But I am not going to spend too much time on the historical aspects because I do want to discuss um, the current. So how I've seen it directly impact the community is similar to the reasons in which Ellen stated in Norway in the sense that it has been um, a political impact in involvement in voting, um, et cetera. And then of course, an economic boost. Um, but I also, I wanna be like wary of my language because I never wanna say like, um, these individuals should be here because of this, because I think from the bare bones of it, um, they, need, they deserve to be here as much as I do. So I'm just going to say some specific examples of what I've seen. So for example, um, you can of course see the economy with businesses um, that we've seen in the North side. So there's some refugee owned businesses and then also some practices. Um, I don't know if maybe this is like something that I only know because of Hope Print, but I know that like our wonderful Nepali community has been um, giving like immeasurable impact in the agricultural industry of Syracuse. And you can also um, find them at our local regional market with delicious foods. And, but also just like the farming practices as a whole. I mean, we're still learning new ways to um, grow as a community. So it's always beneficial when we get new international perspectives in our small city. Um, and that's one thing I wanted to mention too. Um, whenever I talk about Syracuse, like when I am in class in Germany or in a meeting here, like everyone's always fascinated with what's going on. And they're imagining this like huge city that's like the size of New York or something. And I'm like, no, I just, I don't know our exact population, but it's not that big. But I think you can see that dirt growth. And I think you can see that direct community offered by those um, that we have in our home. And I think that migration has given our little city in upstate New York um, quite a big print in the globe as a whole. And maybe that's me speaking like way beyond but I really do see a lot in Syracuse um, specifically. And of course, in the other small cities that may be involved with like a hope print, for example. Beautiful. I know I personally live in Syracuse as well and um, have just continued to experience so much beauty and kind of a, a, a wealth of life um, that my friends who have, have migrated, um, particularly on the refugee resettlement uh, visa and have made our community their home. Like you said, Alan, um, I loved how you, you mentioned Somalis and migrants um, who come, you know, that path, but become Norwegians. And, and that journey, um, you know, I think we can, Bell and I can definitely reflect that in that journey of becoming an American and, and in so doing, expanding the definition of what it means to be Norwegian, expanding the definition of what it means to be American, um, but very much so genuinely entwined within who we are now in our new normal, our new people, we as a people um, is, is personally a really beautiful thing to watch. 
Um, I would love to, to land our conversation today speaking about the impact on people. So we've kind of talked about what is migration? What are some of the reasons people are migrating? Uh, we've mentioned the two places we're most familiar with that they migrate to. We should also add they migrate, um, people migrate literally all over the world. That 1% that Alan mentioned, of course, are migrating typically across their borders if, if they're crossing the border. Um, to the, the most nearby option, right? So um, since there are different crises and different situations all across the world, people are crossing borders all across the world. And so Norway and the United States are most certainly not the only places um, that see um, individuals migrating from another nation and having to be uprooted and reroute themselves. Um, but in that, you all have been doing a lot of research. And so I'd actually really like as best we can to kind of hone in on the research side of things. Um, I know you both have experiences too, um, but because none of us have are we are not migrants ourselves. Um, it, while we might have had mobility, uh, like how you said that earlier, Bella, we've had some mobility in our life, maybe clearly the two of you to live in different places and experience what it's like to do that. Um, none of us here can speak personally um, to the that total and complete uprooting and migration of our families, right? Um, but I do know that you all have done a lot of research about this whole topic. And so I am sure you've come across um, some of the understanding of, of how it seems to impact the people migrating, right? So this isn't just an issue. It isn't policy, like you said earlier, Bella. This is about people, about moms and dads and families. Um, so from your research, how how can you speak to how this whole migration experience is impacting the people who are migrating? Well, it's uh, fun that, that you ask that because I was actually, with this question, I was thinking how it's so important to, to emphasize the emotions in the research and how when we're talking about immigration, a lot of the times, at least, with our work in research, it just becomes very political, very analytical. And I'd just like to emphasize the people, the faces, the emotions, the lives uh, that are behind the numbers, that are behind the stories, that, you know, migration is something that humans have been doing since the start of human history, is moving and how every single one of us, whether it's us or our neighbors or parents, ancestors, there's a story of migration that has changed who we are, that defines a part of us. So even though that's not very uh, research oriented, <laughs> I think it's uh, incredibly important to have that be central to any of the stories we tell or statistics we learn, um, yeah. Yeah, um, so to answer this, I, I'm gonna do it my, I really liked Ellen's answer though, of course, with um, the faces behind and the lives behind everything. Um, Cause I do think that's so important to consider and taking that idea, I think that's why it's so important to um, understand the benefits of um, going, so I'll try to speak for every community that could be watching this. So the benefits of like um, qualitative research um, with this in mind, 
like going into a field, like going out, going to do interviews or have um, <clears throat> collective like discussions, focus groups, etc. on this topic in order to learn from it and to move forward to create um, sustainable solutions. And of course, it's important to be inclusive of this process and um, try to have those with migration background at the root of the researchers um, in order to better understand, of course. So how I'm going to answer this is um, a bit of my research and experience. So right now where I am in Italy, um, specifically, I am working in reception work, um, I guess you would say the overall broad term of it. Um, so Refugees Welcome focuses on domestic hospitality in Italy through um, matching refugees with families, as well as mentorship programs. Um, so what I've been doing for my internship project, which is like the, because you can't just write a thesis and have it enough. You also have to write a paper about your internship, um, which is fine because I'm really enjoying it. If any professors ever watch this. Um, so I am actually interviewing people working within this field in the region of Italy that I'm living in. So I'm seeing a lot of different views and approaches and what I can kind of like, and then also with my own experience with working with Hope Print in the past, um, what I can kind of summarize it in terms of um, the experience that an individual can have um, are divided into a series of formal and informal processes. So of course the formal, just that like the basic, basic level of it is a person immediately needs to come in and figure out how they're going to work, how they're gonna feed themselves, stay safe, stay healthy, have a roof over their heads. Um, and it is so many things in so little time. So for example, I know in Italy with like initial reception centers, you might be in a space for six months with the opportunity to um, extend it if your proposal is granted. So once again, those are legal processes you have to go through and you're continuously having to tell your story. You're continuously having to share with individuals that you probably never met some of the most personal things that have ever happened to you. And I think privacy is a right that we are not recognizing enough these days. I think that's something that comes up. I think also personal information is a right we're not recognizing these days. So many people have their personal information digitized across a vast majority of organizations, whether they are at the institutional level or maybe like a local level. And if you like ask the average person, hey, like how many people have your social security number? like that person's gonna be like, well, I have it. And then like, maybe my mom does or something like that. But in other situations, I mean, you might have the social security number of 30 individuals that you've only met once. And that's something that we should still be discussing. So that's, those are things that occur, I feel like at the formal level that I discussed. Um, and then at the non-formal level, um, 
if you ever want to talk to any of them, Ellen and I are happy to introduce you to our classmates that are specialized in psychology in migration, because that is definitely a conversation that I do not have specialty in to write, speak to right now. Um, but it is absolutely something to consider. Um, and I think that it is also maybe oversimplified too, because um, we recognize that not every trauma is the same. And also we recognize that maybe we shouldn't be um, projecting traumas on other people too. So maybe we shouldn't um, assume the story of another. So have like more open counseling platforms um, to create the space, the safe space to speak to whatever you feel comfortable speaking about in order to grow, in order to fully be comfortable in your new space, um, whether that's figuratively or literally. And then other like informal processes of that um, are of course what I mean, like I'm dealing with right now, Ellen's dealing with right now, Ellen, you're maybe, I mean, Nicole, you're maybe dealing with right now is like just missing people. I mean, you're, you're, you're leaving your home. Like you're leaving your loves, you're leaving your routines. And it's something that I also think once again is a unifying factor as well that I've seen something really beautiful um, and the ability to kind of find that new home and find that new space. Um, not really answering the question at this point, but like witnessing that has been like a, a gift. To, it's absolutely beautiful. And um, yes, so that is my answer. <laughs> That's fantastic. The, the human resilience I hear um, in that for sure, which I think is, um, is a profoundly powerful thing to witness. You know, I think all of us at some point in our life are going to face something that requires some, that resilience to show its head in some way. Um, but those who are on the migration journey are facing that need to lay claim to that resilience often every day. Right. And just to watch them do so is, is a, um, it just shows you what we're made of as people. Um, in a way that I, I think is, is in fact beautiful. I heard both of you reflect that um, as you're, as you speak about people, you've gotten a chance to get to know. Um, and I appreciate your sharing your perspectives and your learning. And I am sure that there is, is much more to be said. Um, but as we wrap up this conversation, kind of specific to migration, is there anything else that you feel like Hey, it's, I really want to make sure that anyone listening also has this in mind when they're thinking about migration or people that are migrating. Uh, just the, that it should, it's something that should be celebrated uh, for all its complexities and all the nuances. It's something that, yeah, it's, it's heavy in a lot of conversations and it's fascinating, it has a lot of history, a lot of politics around it, but at the root of it, it's something that should be celebrated, whether it's in yourself and what you've done and accomplished, or again, neighbor, friend, family, even strangers, you know, it's something that we should seek to find and connect with and uplift. 
Yes. Um, I would like to make a bit of a note on something that Ellen mentioned super early on in topics that she's interested in. And those are the topics of culture and identity. And so something to consider is don't make assumptions and do not, um, I guess, well, yeah, don't make assumptions. And <laughs> so what I mean by that is, so maybe something that we've discussed in class a little bit, because I'm, I'm trying to bring it back to our class, because I know that Ellen and I have had a very unique educational experience. Um, so it's the topic of cosmopolitanism that we've come to in class many times. And I guess I can very cheesily um, summarize it into um, a quote on cosmopolitanism by a Ghanaian English author. Um, and that was, remember you're a citizen of the world. And that was from his father. And that's from the book um, in my father's house, if I'm saying the words correctly, I think. Um, and just kind of like understanding that when you meet someone new, maybe it's not best to lead with like, oh, where are you from? As in like, oh, so you're not from here. So like, where are you from? Because that's immediately pushing people out of conversation and out of context. So maybe let people express themselves in the way that they want to express themselves to you and take the extra time to get to know them. Um, and just be considerate of all and understand, like Ellen said, that um, at the end of the day, they're all just, they're, they're someone's life and it's something to cherish and celebrate. Beautiful. I think the one other thing that I, comes to mind that I think is always important to mention in my greeting, um, you all referred to earlier um, that really all of us have roots in migration and they might be farther away for some of us, you know, multiple generations, or we don't even necessarily know how far back. We just know it happened at some point. Um, but one of the things I, I would love to encourage those who are listening to is know your own story, because it's, you know, a lot of times in this conversation, you've heard us all say they, um, because we ourselves haven't migrated, right? But I think to, to really kind of embrace that shared humanity and that shared kind of reality that we all as humanity have at some point migrated by force or choice. Um, and, and so knowing our own story of migration, um, I think can be a really powerful thing back to when you were saying, Bella, you know, what, um, not asking people where they're from. I love how more and more of late, whenever I do get to that part of the conversation where I'm finding out where someone is from, they reflect it back to me. Where are you from? And, and I have found such beauty in being able to more fully answer that question of late um, and have watched just such a difference that it makes when I don't answer, I'm American. Um, you know, for me, I'm Scottish and English and Norwegian, actually. Um, I've got more Norwegian in my blood than anything else uh, I found out in my DNA test, which was kind of fun. Um, but those little pieces of, of my own family history, the more that I know them, the more that it puts me as here I am. I'm just multiple generations down the road. And 
that means my family went through this journey at some level as well. And so we come together as a human family um, who's on the move, um, either now or has been or will be. And um, But the thing that really brings us and binds us together is the fact that we are still all, at the end of the day, human beings. Um, and that we all have blood pulsing through our veins and brains in our heads and the opportunity to love and to care for one another and to create the beautiful diverse community that comes when we all come together, right? So I'm so grateful for your time today to um, speak to this topic. Um, I know I already said this, but for those of you who are listening, we have literally just done like an intro to migration. There's about 50 different layers that just the three of us, I'm sure, could talk about. Um, let alone all the wealth of people who have far more expertise and research um, accomplished than we do. Um, so if you're listening, encourage yourself to like go go learn more. Um, let this be a little taste test. Go, go dig some things up um, in terms of future resources and things like that. Um, you know, we're happy, any of us, to point you in some of the directions to learn about some specific issues if you have an interest. Um, but let this only be the beginning um, of what it looks like for you to better wrap your mind and your heart around migration and the issues um, that it includes. So thanks again, ladies. And we will be back with all of you who are watching and listening um, for our next episode. And I will look forward to the ways that lives connects life connects me with the two of you into the future. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much. And it was great to see you again, too. <laughs> Bye. Bye.